Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Matt Cash gets the ball. Everybody get on red alert. In a good way. Not, not the Bertrand Terori way. <laughs> This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a love. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. And 2022 is here. What do you think of it? <laughs> do you know what? It's good to start up the year with a good old kick up the ears for everyone because... I don't know, I feel like this has been emblematic of Aston Villa of late. Not, not Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa, but I feel like we felt this way over the last few games. Um, definitely throughout the final six, eight months of Dean Smith's reign as well. Just, there's no killer instinct with these boys. Steven Gerrard was talking afterwards about the control and how they, they shouldn't have lost that game because of the control they had. You can control a game a lot more if you go for a second goal. If you pin a team back, if you get that cushion, like that's... That's how you finish off a game. The way Villa have been playing, and we had this with Norwich as well, except Norwich are just even worse than Brentford, God love them. You know, you leave this stuff up for chance. Like You keep a team in with a sniff of it. They're going to punish you somewhere along the way. And do you know what? If Villa's strategy is really to be more defensive and be more controlled, then you know, they want to be doing a lot better than conceding goals almost every game like this is 75 percent of the time now under Gerrard that they don't keep a clean sheet and if we're willing to sacrifice more chances to have a bit more control of games and I'm sure coming off the back what we were coming off of with Dean Smith you know we probably wanted to shore things up a little bit it felt like a bit too much out of control then we have to keep clean sheets we've only kept it twice in eight games and it doesn't look like we're going to do it that often. And if we want to win 1-0, then keep a fucking clean sheet. That's six games now out of eight where we haven't done it. And now it's four losses out of eight. And suddenly things don't look as good as they did when we were beating teams that we should have beaten or could have beaten. We were losing to the big ones. But now we've gone away to Brentford and lost. And I'm not buying this narrative that we shouldn't have lost. It's Sky. Like, that's a typical game there. We were complaining about Sky at during the Chelsea match when the whole narrative was about Chelsea I felt like today we were benefiting from that because we were playing Brentford and Sky for some reason got into their heads that this is daylight robbery it wasn't it was just two teams passing the ball around nothing happening and one of the teams scored two goals and one of the teams scored one goal <laughs> happy new year Liam <laughs> yeah like it's we, we did dominate the first half of that game, but we weren't good. And that really tells you just how bad Brentford were, particularly in the first half an hour. And we should have made hay when the sun was shining instead of just gallons of manure. The, the players <laughs> the players actually were playing with so much confidence and attempted invention, which was strange given how bad everyone's touch was. I mean, that, that should have absolutely drained them. It should have pulled them back into their shell or at least at least make them go back to the basics of playing football. But it, it actually does. The good thing, the small positive, it reveals how much confidence Jared has instilled in them because they obviously trust themselves and trust the system and they kept trying things and they also kept trying the patterns. Patterns that weren't working because of the players. And it's very easy to blame the system and give up on it when you're playing that shite. 
and that's in every walk of life looking for external factors to deflect well it's not my fault this is shit that shit yeah like, you know, self-reflection is difficult but at no point did they give up on the plan and like i said they didn't give up on themselves either and that's encouraging signs for gerard's management but let's not get too excited because the performance was really bad. The players were shit. The patterns weren't working. And we kept fucking trying them despite that. And because of the lack of quality from any of the players that made it onto the pitch, every single one of them, that was one of the worst games of football I've ever seen up until Bradford's second goal. I mean, it didn't get any more exciting after that goal because the quality was still dreadful. <laughs> but at least there was a bit of energy in the in the game and in the stadium. I mean, the, that game was so dull error-ridden it was so slow it was like watching paint dry fucking beige paint watching beige paint dry in the walls of an accountancy firm it's a type <laughs> of game that really makes you regret that we have no choice but to watch it that, that we're being shorn of our free will because some dickhead showed us a game of football when we were young and naive when we were impressionable <laughs> children some fucking scumbag <laughs> took us out around the back of the school shed whipped out a portable tv and said get a bit of this into you we're all doing it all the cool kids love it and flash forward their adulthood and we're panned out in the armchair on a Sunday afternoon barely able to stay conscious <laughs> all these years later saying I could quit any time I want <laughs> yeah it's um no it wasn't good like, there was one positive in the whole game and that was uh the goal the goal was absolutely delicious let's get it out of the way now because I don't see us going down this road too often for the rest of the podcast but um to make it 1-0 Mr. Danny Ings off his left foot and he goes away with a celebration as if to say, what do you think of that? As if, <laughs> as if he was listening to all the podcasts and all the shit talking about him and as if he was hearing everybody say, why is this boy so afraid he got on his left foot? It starts with Emmy Buendia, lovely one too with Dougie. I'll say one thing for Buendia, always look for that ball in the tight area and then he does a amazing, a sexy pirouette. And straight away, it's just straight off the pirouette, he releases the ball, he releases the pass, Ings is away, puts it into the bottom corner of his left foot. Just a, a great goal by any any measure. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was the second chance that Ings, you know, absolutely took on his left foot. <laughs> because if he was, isn't it? I was just happy to see him have the shot rather than chop inside. The goal was a bonus for me. And the pass is so good that by the time Ings gets on it, he's been told to shoot by the pass. He has to shoot, and it's a perfect finish. And in the lead-up to it, that's how and why you play a 1-2, to speed up the game and to beat a man and create an imbalance. And that's how you teach a moron who's pressuring too late a lesson. I mean, if you've made a mistake, whatever it is, missed the ball, misplaced a pass, lost your man, or not gotten tight enough to the man, then don't compound that error by making a second mistake. The time for pressure is over, Norgard. Like, that was a second ago. And then... It was whenever he laid the ball off to Douglas Louise, he had to go then. Now you have to stand off him. But also, the last thing you ever want to do as a defender is make a forward's mind up for him. Like You want him moving more and more slowly towards you as he runs out of options and space. <laughs> this just goes to show you how pissed off I am about this match, just how dreadful a performance it was that I'm fucking analysing Brentford's defending. That's not a position I ever want to be in. <laughs> and I should be focusing on the incredible double drag back from Wendy. It's so clean. And then, as always, when he gets in that position, when he gets into the space between the defence and midfield, he's looking up and he's looking for a pass to kill the opposition straight away. He's always got his eyes up and he does. He absolutely kills him with a pass. 
Yeah, you mentioned that it was the second time that Danny Ings tried it on his left foot. Um, he, he definitely was listening. He definitely heard some things. The first one got blocked, obviously. He could take his up to his <laughs> left. And uh, the commentator actually said, that's where you do not want Danny Ings with the ball in those areas. And I thought, you're fucking right about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but not for what you think. And then obviously he went and scored a lovely goal. Harder chance probably. It was a bit wider, but obviously had a bit more space. And uh he put it away, but we'll get to more of the chances later. Let's let's get into some of the disasters of this game. And the way you're describing what Brentford were doing for the defending of that, like it's sort of, it was touching on a lot of what Villa did wrong as well. And uh, we say gets the first goal. Um, it's a lovely first touch and a lovely finish. If we were Brentford fans, we would be pointing that out. Like it's the first touch, takes it out of his feet amazingly, just sets himself up. And it's a, it's a brilliant finish. But Targeting Ramsey yet again down Villa's left, the opposition's right. They, they are letting boys drift in behind them too easily. Like this is a pattern, and you know I'm not saying it's happening all the time, but if that's happening once a game, it's bad. Like it shouldn't be happening where two of your players, like your your last two lines of defence on that side of the pitch, are taken out, and and people are getting in under no pressure, and and, and like they're being beaten, they're, and they're being being hung down that area now. Courtney House, maybe his positioning is questionable. Maybe he's too slow to react. But it's because both, like, Ramsey lets a man beat him. He lets a man just sort of drift away. Like, always just follow the man, track the man. We mentioned it last week. And Target sells himself. Like, he just he just comes out, sells himself, and now he's taken out of the game. And the, I don't even know who it is. Oh, it's, it's, it's your man who scores the second goal. It's, it's Roslev, isn't it? And he Very just can stand there and pick the pass, and it goes across, and House can't do anything about it. Yeah, they, yeah, they're right. The first touch is absolutely disgusting. It's out of this world. And if you're beating Emmy Martinez with a curler from the edge of the box on your second touch after that, then it's a, it's a really, really special goal. But it's really bad from Ramsey, and you can't lose your man on a one-two ever. And you have to be a lot more clued in, particularly because. He's watching Target. He's facing that direction. He can see Target vacate the space. Yeah. Ramsey is now staring down the barrel of 40 yards of space on that side. He has to be more tuned in now because he fucking knows that Matt Target's not going to get back there either. So not only should Ramsey not lose his man, he should be sprinting back into that space that Matt Target has left wide open for Brentford. It's an absolutely dreadful goal from a Villa perspective, but it's brilliantly finished off by Visa. And annoyingly, you know, Brentford didn't have many chances, but they got the second goal, and that's all they needed. And it was it was Rosalev who set up the first goal. Matt Target. I mean, <laughs> where do you want to start with this? It's it's um it's annoying that they were able to work it from left to right. Anyway, Matt Cash gets nutmegged, which happens, you know, like the, 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 like that hasn't opened anything up. He's able to get back on side anyway. But if you look at the replay. Sanson isn't keeping that straight horizontal line with midfield like we talk about. It's so important. He's drifted. He's done the drift into number 10 and that's given him a bit of space. And then Target just, you know, he doesn't get the blocking. Like he's nowhere near getting the blocking. I think he eventually does get a deflection on it, which makes it harder for Emmy to save. But, but because he's so late, he actually could have just let the shot happen. Instead, he sold himself, and that means that Roslev has all the time in the world in to hit the rebound in under no pressure because Targus just gone flying past him too late. But if you look at the replay, if you look at it in real time, he was so slow to react and get across the box. And and then, like after 
after realizing how slow he is and he's never going to make it, he still tries to make it anyway and takes himself out of the game where he could have been there to to clear the ball away. Yeah, like he must have a boot deal with CRH or something. I mean, <laughs> he couldn't have made his way across the ground any slower. Like his reaction then as well was embarrassing. Like his will as well to get there was woeful. He's seven yards out. Get over to him and get on his boot as well. Don't be running between him and the keeper. Get right on him. He's he's seven yards out for fuck's sake. He has so much time. Like he could he could have started showboating. Like whatever Rorschach wanted to do there. Whatever the equivalent of a boxer whirling his dominant hand around. This Rorschach had so much time because of Matt Target. And maybe Matt Target should consider it being a footballer as the career for him because it normally entails a lot of running. And like we all have different skills and abilities and running just isn't one of Matt Target's. How many mm-hmm. times have we fucking said it? Maybe he should consider a career in cement manufacturing because he's a fucking expert in being an inanimate object. <laughs> and Emmy can probably do better than Pariot as well because you're right, Target does get a slight touch on it, but it's, it's still straight at Emmy and he should sort his hands out a lot quicker. Interestingly, Graham Suna said it was an amazing save afterwards. It was a strange thing to pick up on. Like, it was one of those ones where Sky were like, let's rush this analysis out. Come on, Chelsea are out warming up. We need, <laughs> <laughs> we need to get to the real talk. So we were just like, flying by, whistle stopped her of everything. And uh, Graham Sunez just panicked and said, that's an amazing save. It's an amazing save. But he got the rebound. Yeah, like you can, you can rush past analysis and not call a shot that's straight out of goalkeeper's stomach. An amazing save. <laughs> um, interestingly, like you said it, you said it after the Chelsea match. Once again, my target is lying on the ground, face first, watching <laughs> another goal go in. How often does this happen? It's it's disgraceful. It's it's so depressing, and to have moved so slowly towards Rorschach as well, and to end up so far past him. So not only can he not fucking run, he also can't stop running once he does start ambling down the pitch. <laughs> yeah, and as if it couldn't get any worse, Mahmoud Trezeguet. I mean, this would be bad anyway. This would be disgusting anyway. But Trezeguet has beaten the first man. He's beaten the first man. He's done well, gotten inside him. He has the chance to put the ball across the box. Wants to beat a second man. Dorset has the chance to put the ball in the box. <laughs> beaten two men. Turns down two chances to put the ball in the box. At the end of the game, decides to throw himself down instead, pretending like he's been hit in the face when he was nowhere near being hit in the face. Yeah, it's it's without doubt the worst moment of the season. It's absolutely disgusting and I want nothing to do with that. How fucking embarrassing. And on Super Sunday as well, with thousands of eyes on the game because they're all tuning in for the big yeah. one. Thousands of eyes that would never otherwise be watching it as well. And now they just associate Trezeguet with that for the rest of his career. And rightly fucking so. He deserves all the stick he's going to get for that. It's disgusting. And like I've said before, fucking moronic. Because you know the way there's thousands of eyes on that now as well? That's because there's hundreds of cameras in the fucking ground and they're re-watching everything. You can't <laughs> dive in the box anymore and get away with it unless you play for Man City. <laughs> that was a slow burner, but I got there. <laughs> um, we'll see at WhatsApp on this. First WhatsApp winch. These podcasts are getting harder to do. <laughs> and not because Villa are losing or because they're not playing well, because there's very little happening in these matches. <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe we're suffering from second season syndrome, the difficult second album. 
but um, it's it's getting harder and harder to think of talking points that we could sustain a full hour for. Is that because you've got so much control of games, you see? <laughs> and that's fucking happening. Yeah, I, I, I think we've been really unlucky with the last two or three games where they just have been boring. They've been real non-events where we're just waiting for Villa to fucking do something like the Norwich and this game or the Chelsea game where it's just waiting for Villa to be fucking beaten. <laughs> Second, what's up, Winge? Oh, nice one, McGinn. That's great. Yeah, fucking moron. Absolute idiot as well. And I assume you're talking about his yellow card. Yeah, yellow card and now he's suspended for the Manchester United game, just in case anybody missed that one. Yeah, and I, to be fair, of all the positions we can probably afford to lose somebody, if it's not centre forward, then it's probably in the number eight positions. But Jesus Christ, you don't want John McGinn missing for a game against fucking Man United. And, and just because of the nature of it as well, like I think Craig Pawson probably doesn't need to give me a yellow card, but also we don't need to give him the excuse to give you a yellow card that you're never going to get turned over because by the by the letter of the law and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I know you're frustrated. I know you're trying to get the game going, but you're also playing Man United next. Can you just, you know, like think about Sky Sports? Like what are they going to talk about now when John McGinn... <laughs> John McGinn can't be linked to this team that he's playing. It's going to be really difficult for them. If Graham Souness is on the panel, he's going to have fucking nobody to talk about. Like maybe, maybe he saw videos of Emmy Martinez telling Yerimini he was going to eat him. But other than that, like Ollie Watkins has played for England a couple of times. He might have seen him play. I don't know. It's going to be tough for him to analyze any of the Villa players anyway. Um, it's good that you said about you know Villa have options in that position. Because our good friend, I was going to say friend of the show, I don't think he is, and we're not really friends with him. We're, we're actually we're not we're not really friends. We're not friends with Stan Collymore. Um, I don't know how <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I've started wording this this way. Um, Stan Collymore, I'll just say, <laughs> he has been tweeting about Douglas Louise. A lot of people getting on Douglas Louise's back. Um, he's talking about him not being positionally aware as a centre defensive midfielder doesn't break up the play um, he's the reason that John McGinn has to run around like a banshee to cover which is you know it's a good analogy <laughs> um, but then he says Douglas Louise isn't just poor he's dreadful if Arsenal want him bite their hands off and it is interesting because a lot of people um, aren't the biggest fans of Douglas Louise but uh, I just thought I'd bring that up now that you're saying we have options to cover McGinn because I assume one of the options could be moving Douglas Louise to that position, although Nakamba's gone, actually, I forgot about it. Jesus, please buy somebody in the transfer window. Yeah, like you're absolutely right. I'm surprised though you had a chat with Stan Collymore at Wembley before, surely surely yeah, like now it counts as you've been friends. But loosely, there was one moment... friends, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a moment that really just summed up Douglas Louise. He was trying to lift the ball over the opposite defensive midfielder when he was the last man with the back four just behind him. Yeah. And that tells you everything you need to know about Dougie, Dougie especially because his two midfield partners had gone. like They were never going to be able to cover for him. And if you're going to try that, flicking the ball over another midfielder's head, have a look around, check if McGinn and Ramsey can come around on the cover, and then don't fucking do it. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's never acceptable. That's never the answer whenever you're in the position that Douglas Louise was in when he had that ball at his feet. And 
you'd be thinking in the first half that th- this is the game for Dougie at defensive midfield, like playing against other shitbags. And we're probably going to have to accept, like we've known for a long time, that that is Douglas Louise's level in that position. And I'll be really disappointed to learn that a defensive midfielder isn't Gerrard's main target. And on the, and the other side of that is when you then consider Dougie, McGinn, JJ and Sanson, that is a strong four for the other two positions in midfield. That squad starts to look a lot healthier with the signing of a defensive midfielder who would also have Nakamba pushing him. And JJ yeah. and Sanson can play higher if they need to. But for how long have we been calling out for a defensive midfielder along with a left-back? Yeah, well, like we've been doing it for two seasons now on the podcast since it started, um, but we haven't like we haven't had the podcast before then. We might have been calling for it before then, and yeah, like you know, a, a defensive midfielder, a, a defensive midfielder who controls games, breaks up games. Like he he makes those players even better as well, and they're already good. Um, yeah, it's probably just. You know, if we put if we put John McGinn or Jacob Ramsey into that position as well, it makes them automatically worse. Like if they if they play number six now with two boys ahead of them, it, it, it's it's not going to look great for them either. So <laughs> it may, maybe it's not fair for Douglas Louise to be I don't know judged like this, but maybe he should stop trying to lob boys when he is a defensive midfielder. Well, like yeah, it's it's not his best position. Like number eight is his best position. We shot it. Nakamba, Dougie, and McGinn was a was a brilliant combination, and it was really working against. JJ as well because he had just started to show how good a player he was and then those three started playing incredibly well together because as we suspected a season and a half ago Douglas Louise was brilliant as a number eight and that that is clearly his better position that's where he can do a bit of showboat and that's where he can drive forward with the ball that's where he can afford to prat around a bit more like you just don't want your defensive midfielder trying that yeah. like it was it was over it was he wasn't doing it over a center forward where you might get away with it because you don't know how to defend it was over a defensive midfielder an actual defensive midfielder's <laughs> head he was trying to do that it was moronic stuff yeah he was thinking i would probably get caught out with this so i could Next WhatsApp wins. Matt Target needs to start practicing with his right foot every once in a while. Um, <laughs> you know, b- boys are actually it's 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 insulting to him if he cared enough. Like boys are standing in his line uh, of his left foot. They're they're giving him all the inside to do whatever he wants. They're even letting him pass inside of his left foot. But they're standing there waiting for him to try and cross it because he's standing still. So there's no chance of him running past him, and he's not taking it onto his right where you have all the space to do an inswinger. Like it's. Every week, it's making me more, more and more want Ashley Young back at left back, or just sign a left back. Like if Matt Target was at full speed, there'd also be no chance of him running past him. But <laughs> it's it's insane that he that he keeps insisting on doing it. Like a, a couple of times today, the ball back to him wasn't great. It was into his feet, and then he has to shift it, and that gives the defenders another chance as well. I don't think there was anything particularly wrong with Matt Target today, but that's the problem. He's just not dynamic enough. There was nothing wrong with him, but he also just wasn't in the game. We need another Matt Cash. If Villa want to get to the level that we all want him to get to, we need another Matt Cash on the other side. And we need somebody with dynamism, especially with this system as well, especially with Buendia playing on the left side of the, the two number 10s, where he's just floating inside or dropping into midfield. You need to have a dynamic left-back playing in that position. Otherwise, it takes away from what Buendia can do as well. And that side then is just gone. It's vacated with just Jacob Ramsey out there in his own. Yeah. Last one. What's the difference between Brentford and Burnley? <laughs> what, like, what? What is you know Chris Wood? I, I don't know. Like it seems to be uh, Brentford have gotten a lot of credit that Burnley don't get. 
And I don't think it's owed to them, really. Like, you know, they deserve credit for coming up and they're being really competitive in the league. Absolutely. But the talk about Brentford is that they're, you would almost think that they're they're this tricky, pure football in place. Like, they're, they're anything but that. They're just hitting balls forward and they hope that Ivan Tony can make something of them and then that they can do something when they get the territory up top. They're pretty basic. Maybe that's to be expected. But I think that they don't get the criticism or the, the apathy that Burnley get because your hero, Thomas Frank, is in charge. <laughs> I think this is probably the first time I ever used Thomas Frank's name. But <laughs> Brentford were absolutely fucking dreadful, and that's what makes results like this so fucking irritating, especially because you can see it happen. Again, I think I mentioned this against Norwich. You want to be very fucking careful in these games when you just start letting them drift, when yeah. you start pratting around and you start trying to dink balls over the opposite defensive midfielder's head. Like, you know, you can't let games like this just float by. You have to kill them. You have to get some fucking chances and you have to score. Brentford were begging, begging to be beaten tonight. They wanted to be put out of their misery. They could not have played worse in the first half. They didn't get very much better in the second half. And we just let them back into the game. Like, okay, their first goal was an absolute screamer. It was out of this world. We made a horrible mistake in the build-up to it. But you shouldn't get punished as ruthlessly as that. And Visa will never take a better first touch. Like, he he can still feel that ball bouncing off his right foot. It was that perfect. It's one of those moments when it happens on a pitch. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ, that felt great. But regardless of that, we have to be just burying them. Brentford wanted to be buried. And we should have done it. Should have absolutely done it. And I think probably the most annoying thing, it was it was disappointing anyway to concede and let it drift at 1-0 instead of just ramping it up. Like you say, they were they were there, they were they were crying for it, they were waiting for it. Um we didn't just raise the intensity, you know, just just finish them off. We didn't even get close to that. But once they scored as well, we didn't even respond. I thought I thought we'd come out in the second half. Like I, I was thinking, thank Christ Gerrard's here now, and think you know, thank Christ we got half time, and we can give him a rocket up there, and this would be a good lesson that we're not as good as you think we are, and blah blah blah. They, <laughs> nothing, nothing happened. Brentford might have aged it at the start of the second half. It was very, very poor response from the villains, another flat Aston Villa. And like people might say that Brentford drag drag Villa down to their level, like they do with all their teams. I do see it, but. If I hadn't seen Villa just be too happy to play at whatever levels presented to them, then I would uh, I would give Brentford that credit. But it's Villa Villa to blame here. Yeah, like I actually had to remind myself about I think it was about the fifty fifth, fifty sixth minute that Villa were actually drawn that game yeah. because they were playing as if the like Gerard said they were afterwards control. They were playing like they wanted to control the, the tempo of the game, and that's fine. But if you're gonna play with that sort of control, you want to be in the fucking lead. Yeah, <laughs> and you want to be not playing against somebody who's shit, because if you're playing against somebody who's shit, go out and prove it. Go out and beat them. Yeah, um, we'll hand out some awards after this. Mr. Bombastic, we want some bombastic, romantic, fantastic lover. Trezeguet has lost his belly. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. That's uh, the only thing I can say to that is I'm surprised you could tell because I didn't realize Trezeguet was playing. <laughs> so I didn't see him on the pitch, so I don't know how you didn't see his belly. Mr. <laughs> <laughs>
the Ronnie Rosenthal Award, aka the Danny Ings Award. Uh, we we mentioned his blocked left footed shot in the first half. He got another one in the second half, not of his left. This time he doesn't want to shoot on his right. The ball pops up for him twenty yards out. All he has to do is whip it. He can bend it into the far corner. He can pull it back. He's in the middle of the goals. Instead, he throws a dummy to get it back onto that left of his, and he, he gets blocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted to prove us all wrong, you see. I mean, the first one that's blocked, I, I thought was a... It was a slightly underhit pass for what Buendia wanted to happen. I mean, he's trying to put him straight through, but Ings, for the first time in his Villa career, reacts to the picture around him, and the defenders are panicking, spinning heads, heads on a swivel. Ings can do whatever he wants now, and he, to my absolute amazement, did the right thing and took it onto his left foot. And that one where he took it on his left foot for a second time then was just, it was it was silly. Yeah, you're free on goal, Danny. Have a shot. Not for the first time. He refused it. He had two more. He had a header late enough on when John McGinn took a free kick from the right-hand side. In-swinger. Ings' header was tame. And then like John McGinn first-time pass. Like, Douglas so easy, John McGinn. Just a delicious first-time ball straight in front of Danny Ings who gets it caught under his feet and he has a tame shot as well. He's tried, he's reacted maybe well considering his two or three touches didn't bring the ball in front of him and he's tried to sort of put it underneath the defender to the other side of the keeper but it just was never going to have enough power considering how much over the ball he was. Yeah, I mean, you're calling the, the header tame. It was fucking pathetic. I mean, let's call let's call a spade a spade here. Our centre forward who we spent a lot of money on is standing seven yards out and he does that. It yeah. was atrocious. It was a free header as well. There was no one near him. There wasn't even any Villa players near him. It was pathetic. The other one, I mean, come on, big man. This is the big moment. John McGinn with our first bit of quality in the second half. And you've just gone and fucked it up. Sort your feet out. Take a decent cut, touch. And then just welly it into the net. It was there. It was all down your right-hand side. A better touch there. And it's a goal. It's, it's again, it's pathetic. That's the one, you know, because Carragher talking about Danny Ings' goal at halftime, you know, this is this is what he does, he's an experienced Premier League player, he's had success everywhere he's gone, he has, I respect Danny Ings in no end, but that's what I expect a player of that calibre, the way he's been talked about at halftime, to finish up, he's been supplied these chances by McGinn and by Buendia, he's been given the opportunity to go get more goals and he's obviously a bit riled up, like you saw the stats there, he scored three out of three without Watkins, you know, so the partnership isn't really working. He scored one out of eleven with Watkins, um, but there's a chance to get two, three goals, and then actually put a bit of pressure on them to make us think. Well, do you know what? If this guy's going to keep this up, if, he, if we're going to be able to keep presenting him the chances, let's let's keep him in. He's lethal, but he's, he's not lethal. Like he had the chance there to just get the draw. That's what a good striker should do for you, right? Like you haven't played well, you fucked it up, but bang. You know, good striker will punish a team for falling asleep, and John McGinn will find the the pass through. And he just, it just, I don't know how often we said it this season. He doesn't get the ball out of his feet. Yeah, like a good a good striker will reward John McGinn for that absolute piece of yeah. magic. But like today is a large part of the reason you sign players like Ings, players who are good enough to start for the club, but can't quite make the lineup because of our top top players. I mean, this is why when the rumors were circulating around Abraham before Ings came out of absolutely nowhere, we were saying. Of course we should sign him. Like We'll have a player that can fill in. We'll have a player that gives us a different way to play. We have a better bench and we have a player that should improve. Watkins as well because he's looking over his shoulder. But it's really hard to analyse things today because he took his goal brilliantly 
and he got a lot of clear-cut chances. And that's not a small thing. That's not easily done. But it's also not easy to miss all of those chances, to make them... like Some of them looked and felt like non-events. I mean, it's it's not easy to find yourself nominated three or four times for an award that is named after someone who hit the fucking crossbar of an empty net with eight yard, from eight yards out. <laughs> yeah, I recall that not a good day at the office for a striker. <laughs> <laughs> Only one nomination for Brentford. Um, Zonjenka, remember, I think it was the Tuggles Louise, uh, bad touch, gave the ball away, and uh, Brentford went straight through. Sanson gets back, but his block is one of those ones that he's, He's done the right thing. He's slid back to try and help out, but his block is actually what's brought the ball closer to going in, and Emmy Martin is, makes a great save and tips it around the post. I think that's the only thing Brentford really had outside of their two goals. Yeah, yeah, that, that was it. I mean, it, was, it was a really good a really good save from from Martinez, and it's it's quick reaction from Sanson to get back in there, but he should never have been given an opportunity because his touch back out is, is silly, and then it's, it's just a good save then from Martinez after the deflection. The Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. Welcome back, Courtney House. <laughs> um, you can probably put two nominations here, really. Like one of them, the back pass that he tried to lob over Martinez, seemingly. Um, Martinez yeah. had the wherewithal to just guard his post and make sure it wasn't going into the net. Don't know what. Like, it's a seven-yard pass, not even. And all he has to do is roll it back to him and he, he chips it out over the bar. Yeah. Um, and and also the touch maybe maybe the touch for the second goal as well like just just clear just t- take a touch and clear the ball away and he can't do it. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was absolutely dreadful. I mean, but like, don't let that take away from his delicious, delicate little lob on his bad foot as well. And it's it's <laughs> just wide. It's a really really good effort, really audacious and brave against against one of the best keepers in the world. I mean, it was one of the far too few moments of genuine quality and class in the in the first half. <laughs> Yeah, you missed Tyrone Mings, right? <laughs> you like Glenn Whelan taking 90th minute penalty. This really surprised me. I, c- I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, Jacob Ramsey coming off after 68, 69 minutes. I know he wasn't having a great game, but not Bertrand Terori. I love Bertrand Terori. <laughs> a couple of nice touches. That was it, really. Uh, I think he's still very much working his way back in. Let the Africa Cup of Nations do the rest of the work for his recovery, in my opinion. But um, I, I thought Ramsey should have gone into number 10 and brought Sanson on in midfield. Yeah, I mean, like, why was I wondering where Bertrand Trory was? Like, I, I'm still wondering, to be honest, because he just didn't turn up today. I mean, <laughs> like, why why the fuck was I missing Bertrand Trory? Bertrand Trory? Uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder, fair enough. What is it you always say? Players' stocks go up whenever they're missing. Well, this was fucking 1929, yeah. 87, and 2008 all rolled into one. And, <laughs> you know, you know, I've always said it. I've always thought it. Bertrand Trory is kind of like a subprime mortgage portfolio. It was fucking <laughs> dreadful. It was a terrible performance. And he was just begging to be taken off. And Ramsey, while it was nowhere near, it was probably actually one of his worst games for Aston Villa, it was nowhere near his best. He was still trying things. He still had a bit of invention. He still had a bit of drive, and he was still going at Brentford. He wasn't slowing the game down as much as other people were guilty of, and he absolutely should have stayed on the pitch and jumped into number 10. Yeah, and then what happened was, you know, I think Ramsey would have would have benefited from being put in a different position, just freshen it up, give him, give him a different look at the pitch. I think he would have had more energy than Bertrand Shorey. He would have, wouldn't have lost the ball needlessly as much, and 
Bertrand's Rory just started waning. Like it, it was clear anyway that he was doing that, but after they kept him on, he just he gave the ball away a couple of times. It actually opened the pitch up and opened the game up for Brentford. It almost led to big chances, you know, just unnecessarily handing them back possession. And they eventually took him off. And this is the second nomination now because I feel like they compounded, they compounded that that decision by bringing Ramsey off. I I, I think Sanson should have absolutely come on, but um. By keeping Bertrand Ferrari on, they brought Ramsey off, and then they brought Trezeguet on. Like, how is this boy? <laughs> that's that's not really the nomination, but how is this boy going to fit into a number ten? That that's the nomination. Yeah, and during the whole first half, I was just thinking Bertrand Ferrari doesn't quite suit this. We've like I've talked before. I wouldn't mind seeing him in there, an absolute loose cannon. If you had two solid defensive midfielders behind him, which we didn't have today, but. Yeah. Uh, it didn't work. I mean, he was, he was far too wide in that game. He was getting a Matty Cash's way. And he wants to cut inside, but when he's already inside, he's got fucking nowhere to go then. And Trezeguet was <laughs> Trezeguet was an absolute an absolute non-event whenever he came on. Bertrand Troy looked like he was disappointed whenever it was Ramsey that could take off, to be honest. And that's why he saw his game started to win. He looked like he was like, oh, what the fuck are you doing? It's my time. Get the number up. It's I have to come off. I'm done. And it was really surprising that he didn't come off. And only more surprising whenever it was Trezeguet that eventually replaced him. He actually looked happy when he came off, actually. It's, it's so interesting that you say that. He was fucking delighted. Of course he was. He was done. His race was run and he was having an absolute stinker. I think the, the board flashed up in the first 45 minutes. And remember this. Villa had the ball for the entirety of the first 45 minutes. And Bertrand Trory made the list of top five players or lowest five players to have touched the ball that's just not on jesus christ and then trezeguet like oh trezeguet just wants touchline like he wants to run down the touchline and work his work his harder he wants to get back and help his fullback which isn't the role anymore in this team and he wants to get into the back post and score some goals and he might still do that in the future but uh i just don't see him fitting in as a number 10 so it could be a could be a longer way back for him we'll go to the vimen meter um Going up, Villa away fans, like we talked before about these boys not asking a lot. John McGinn blazes the ball over the bar twice in the first half and he gets a serenade of Super John McGinn both times. <laughs> like, you know, both times it sort of it opened up for him. He probably should have done better. And then Jacob Ramsey concedes a cynical foul and he gets the one of our own chance. He's <laughs> <laughs> just, just got a yellow card. He's you know, he's committed a cynical foul and everybody loves him for it like it's a uh, uh, it's, it's a good crowd and it's very unfortunate for them to go down there and uh, not get something go down there and watch that absolute fucking yeah. tripe as well god love them it was it must have been it must have been hard a hard watch and maybe that's why they were cheering whenever john mcginn had a shot because it was something fucking happening <laughs> and to be fair to john mcginn those shots had to be taken on yeah. as well the first one because it was a volley and every single person in the world even people who've never played football before will hit that ball on that volley. You just cannot resist it. It's on your good foot. It's dropping perfectly. There's no defenders near you. It's getting spanked. And the second one, Brentford just didn't close him down. Like You're playing against John McGinn. You know what he's going to do. Or maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe they know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to fucking sky one over the bar. Let him shoot. Let him shoot. <laughs> going up, Matt Cash. Um... Uh, Every time he gets the ball, I'm wondering why am I always just giving him the ball? Like you know, just just give it to Mad Cash, and then like there's pace 
injected in it. There's purpose. He's going straight for the jugular. He, uh, he's got ideas. He just very rarely loses the ball. He's, he's tackling as hard. His interceptions are class. Like it, just another one of those days for him. Um, and yeah, it's it's in stark contrast to what's happening over on the other side of the pitch. Like this boy, this boy is a live wire. It's brilliant to have him. Yeah, he's absolutely tireless and he's relentless as well. And he's got this really, you mentioned that there, this really good habit of just injecting pace and energy into every Villa attack. But not only that, once he does that, if it doesn't work out, he's very quickly able to stop as well. Get his yeah. foot in the ball and turn around and give it back to the centre midfielders. Much in the same way he's able to put in a sliding block tackle and get back up before the, before the wingers <laughs> react to it. Yeah, oh, he's brilliant. And like, he's, he's so good that he's, he's come into that category. Like, this is a right back and somebody who I used to have a category for to say, Did my cash get forward tonight? Like, this is a boy who's now um, holding the same esteem as McGinn and Ramsey. And I said Sanson last week, like, just. He's got that ability to drop the shoulder and drive past somebody and open the game up that way. Like he doesn't have to. If you can, if you can beat one man like that, that that starts a domino effect all over the pitch. And we need to use Matt Cash more because of that. When he gets it as well, that's the other thing. When he gets it, everybody else needs to waking up because he can drive past somebody now and he can free you up. Go help him out. Matt Cash gets the ball. Everybody get on red alert in a good way, not not the Bertrand Terori way. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's been absolutely incredible this season. Like I've said before, he's comfortably our, our player of the year. And for a lot of games now as well, he's been our most dangerous player. And there's so much space created for him in this system. And he's absolutely the type of fullback you need and want if you're going to play this way. And he's reaping the benefits of it. Going down, like there's loads maybe, like a target. Um, Douglas Louise for what the stuff he was trying Courtney House, I have him going down as well. I just, I, I never like when I know it's hard on them, especially when they're not getting game time. But uh, I never like when somebody gets their chance and then, like, in the Courtney House took his and then some at the start of the season. But this time it was like, oh yeah, let's get Mings straight back in there. Like that's <laughs> that's not a good thing to say about somebody who got brought in. Yeah, the Courtney House was nowhere near his normal trustworthy best whenever he comes back <laughs> into the Villa team. Like you know it's it's one of the positions that we can that we can afford to have an injury or a suspension because Courtney House has always been good for Villa. He's never let us down in any sort of real way. Douglas Louise could be going down just for his free kick at the end. I mean, oh yeah, like, whatever about Trezeguet's dive, which was disgusting. I don't think I've ever seen anything worse on a football pitch. I mean, I, I've seen poor bastards break their legs i've seen harry Maguire fail to get a trickling ball under control of 20 yards of space but <laughs> this was harder to watch it was unbelievable the, the dying embers of the game a free kick 60 yards out and you kick it at john mcginn who's 20 yards in front of you <laughs> kick it at him at shin height like what the i've never seen a ball scuffed more it was pathetic <laughs> And John McGinn was so polite and that he, he managed to get under control and then he floated it back into the exact same position that Douglas Louise should have put it up first. It's like, is that where you wanted to put it? Like, you know, he put it, put it up for Courtney House to go chase. Um, yeah, you mentioned Trezeguet. Of course, of course he has to go down as well. Go down the furthest because this should have been a celebration. Like, you know, we're all in awe of this man and the work he must have gone through and the you know, how hard it must have been for him for that injury. And um, they set him back for so long, and he got back from him. And we really should have been 
should have been celebrating, like, you know, the journey that he's gone through and um, how happy we are to see him back. And he's back in time to go off of Egypt as well. But, but to do that when he comes back, and to do that on the same day that Andres Weinman scores a hat-trick for Bristol. <laughs> I, I just can't, like, you know, Andres Weinman didn't represent Villa with all the heart that he did and all the honesty that he did for somebody to turn around and be away from the box. <laughs> Uh, just, just not a good day for Trezeguet to do that. No, absolutely not. And like we threatened to to rename the Vimin meter, the Trezeguet That's meter, right. not, not, right. not 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 just because of his effort and and work rate, but because he's shit as well. And <laughs> and I mean, loved them all the same. But when he does things like that, it was so, like I said, it was disgusting and it was pathetic and utterly pointless, and moronic. Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Tony Cascarino has a good idea, so should Villa just go and buy Firmino? <laughs> <laughs> and hang on, if you think that's that, that, that's uh, that's the end of it and transfer silly season, Richard Keyes has a great idea as well. Should Villa just go and buy Jack Grealish? <laughs> like, well, yeah, uh, you've promised before that you were going to stop listening to talk sports, so I'm not sure what's happened there. <laughs> I but... told you, they also just wrote me in every time. <laughs> Like, all we can hope for is that the Firmino swoop is a joint bid for Salah. I mean, I know we have a, a portfolio of subprime mortgages in the forward positions, but but why not? I mean, I think Firmino and Salah would be useful up there for us. Like, <laughs> the, the weirdest thing about this is, like, aside from the fact that Firmino's not going to Aston fucking Villa when he, could, when he could just stay at Liverpool, his manager loves him, and if he didn't want to go to... If you didn't want to stay at Liverpool, there's a host of clubs that are in a higher position than Villa are right now. Firmino's not going to a rebuilding job. Mm-hmm. Aside from all that, as good as he is, a centre-forward is such a low priority for us as well. It's probably a position we're actually at our strongest because we've got Danny Ings to back up Ollie Watkins. And not only that, I can't think of two worse players than Emiliano Buendia and Bertrand Trori to play up front with Firmino. You'd have Firmino vacating the centre-forward <laughs> position for Bertrand Trori and Emiliano Buendia to look at. <laughs> like what a fucking waste of time would that be? We playing the old classic Spain formation of a four six zero. Yeah, the three boys all dropping in behind the midfield. If we <laughs> but if we are going to go for unrealistic Liverpool targets that Tony Cascarino has just plucked out of his arse, then Simicast is the obvious choice. But like, what the fuck is Tony Cascarino talking about? And this is the problem with talk sport as well. Everyone knows how shit it is and they're not doing themselves any favours by putting out Tony Cascarino videos everyone has kind of heard anyone who hasn't listened to talk sport knows how shit it is knows how much nonsense that's talked there they've heard all their people talk about it and then they put out videos that has Tony Cascarino's name linked to it so even if you didn't if you had never heard of it you're going to go into that video knowing it's absolute bollocks or you're not going to go into it at all Yeah, I certainly wonder why you do. Like maybe it's one of those ones, like a rage follow. You know, when you follow someone <laughs> you don't like, but you do it to annoy yourself anyway. Um, and oh, I watch, like I, I, I see it. I read it. It's all, it's all there. Warren, you don't trick me into it. They say Tony Cascarino says <laughs> says Villa should sign Roberto for me, <laughs> and I go in and watch eighty seconds of it, and I come away thinking the same that I thought when I before I watched the video. What a fucking plonker! Um, <laughs> But then, like, you know, Richard Keyes' blog is, like, you know, there's, there's just so much gold in that that never ends. And he said Villa 
she's just going by Ghoulish now for 50 million to which he got hundreds thousands of replies saying no thank you we're we're over that we don't want them we don't need them <laughs> poor Ghoulish like you know I think he'll still end up working out well at City but by god he's just sitting on the bench now doing nothing watching the plethora of other players like him do the same job but like if Grealish is available, holy fucking Louis, what about Paul McGrath? And th- th- these links are going to persist until Grealish retires because of his past, but also because of the condensation or the condescension. The big name Joe going back to little old Villa, it's a load of fucking bollocks. And it's just because Richard Keyes doesn't know anything about Aston Villa and now knows that Grealish is good because someone spent 100 million on him. But the way Grealish is treating his career, he's more likely to move to fucking Arsenal to get the bright lights of London. We should just join fucking Malaga and be done with it now. Move to the Costa del Sol. That's where he wants to fucking go. I mean, Pep Guardiola is desperate to drop Raheem Sterling and Jack Grealish can't make the team. What the fuck is he doing? Pep Guardiola would love nothing more than get rid of Raheem Sterling and Jack Grealish can't get the team. That's crazy. It's crazy. Like he... He's second guessing himself now as well. Like he's lost everything that made him good. Like taking on men, drawing players to him. I know that Man City play a different way. I know he's got great players. Right? He has to stop deferring, though. Like he was bought for a reason. He can still do everything he does and not give the ball away. But for some reason, because Pep Guardiola tells him to not give the ball away, it, that means to him, though, to pass it back to Cancelo every two seconds. Like, you know, that's a good option. But not if you're going to do that with your whole season. That's why you end up getting dropped. Now, Mares is away uh, to Africa now as well for, for the Africa Cup of Nations. But um, maybe he. Uh, Maybe he'll get a, a longer run the team. He got, he got loads of chances at the start of the year as well. I think he'll end up coming back and then we'll end up being told that, you know, he went, he underwent a, a re-education under Pep Guardiola. He's unlearned everything he knew about football. Now look at him. Now look at him. He's doing exactly what he was doing two years ago for Villa. But this is the thing. The fear of losing the ball. He never lost the ball when he was trying to do things exactly. anyway. That's why he was good. If he was losing the ball when he was trying to do things, he wouldn't be worth a hundred million quid. The reason he was bought by Man City is because he was trying things and it was working out. He wasn't losing the ball. Yeah. He was creating chances. And in no world ever is Jack Grealish with the fullback lined up a worse option than rolling the ball back to Rodri 60 yards out. Yeah. Just go past him, Jack. Yeah. Like Man City didn't buy Bertrand Ferrari for trying things and losing the ball <laughs> for 100 million. But um, yeah, anyway, he needs to get his confidence back. He needs to get the idea of the Tiger back as well. Um. But actual stuff that is happening, not just bullshit being talked about online, is uh, Twanzebe is heading off to Italy on loan. Like, I don't know. Like, I know Villa have house, but it, was, it felt strange that we were losing Twanzebe the first day that Tyrone Mings was gone as well. Like, he could have been playing then. He could have just been an important backup. Very happy for Josh Feeney, 16-year-old. He comes into the bench, but would have preferred to have Twanzebe there in the bench for today at least. Yeah, I mean, it felt strange that we that we let him go the same day Toronto Mings can't play. It felt stranger that Twanzebe joined Aston Villa, like we <laughs> said at the time. Yeah. Like, this didn't benefit anybody. Like, it was such a strange transfer. We were delighted with it because we had an incredible option now for centre-half on the rare occasion that Toronto Mings wouldn't be available. <laughs> but it was never going to work out. We said it at the time, Twanzebe's not as good as Mings and Kanza. It was a nonsense decision to join Aston Villa on loan as well. Like how arrogant are Man United that they that they looked at that and thought Villa is the club for him? That's the club that he'll get some minutes in. Absolute nonsense. And they tried, like they, they tried to get him a place in the back three as well, but it just it didn't sustain. And uh, 
yeah, like it hasn't really been the same player since he left Villa the first time around. Like I, I th- remember speaking to United fans, telling them that now it wasn't hard because at the time Harry Maguire and Lindelof were staking him up the place. But I was like, why isn't why isn't Twanzebe playing for you? He just left Villa and he was class all season. But um, yeah, hasn't hasn't kicked on from there, and it really shows you the difference. Now maybe there would have been different players anyway, but like Kanza joined Villa. Uh, this is the third season now. Like, and it's just progressed year on year on year, month on month on month, playing regular football and being the man and making mistakes and being the the person. And if you make a mistake, you're going to concede a goal, having that pressure on him every week uh, through a relegation battle and then trying to push into the top 10. And now what he is this year, like he's a monster. So, yeah, it's almost like a sliding doors moment for the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget as well, he got very few minutes in his first season. Fucking Bjorn Engels was stinking up the place. And when Konza was playing, he was playing it right back a lot of the time. So he's only yeah. really had two seasons at centre half. So it's incredible progression from an absolutely incredible footballer. But that's the other thing as well. Tuan Zabi was leaving a club that had Victor Lindelof and Harry Maguire to go to a club that had Konza and Mings to try and get more minutes. What the <laughs> fuck are you on, son? We're well shot him. He's obviously a fucking idiot who can't think straight. <laughs> yeah, he had a way better chance of playing at Man United. Um, and one other piece of business for Villas, Keenan Davis finally gets his loan move. He's off to Nottingham Forest. Fred Gilbert wrote underneath the Aston Villa Twitter account when they announced the move. He said, <laughs> I don't know if this was him wishing him luck. Well, he did wish him luck anyway. But it sort of sounded like, you know, I don't know if it was a threat or as if somebody with their arms crossed sitting back smugly saying, we will see you now. <laughs> I assume he was saying that the word will see you now what a player to Keenan Davis is when he's playing every week. But uh, yeah, it could have been taken out of context there. Fred Gilbert, we will see you now. I think you're the one who's taking it out of context. <laughs> Definitely am. Like, it's way, way more, way more likely that he was actually saying, "Yeah, we'll see you now." <laughs> that's a way more likely outcome than Fred Gilbert actually thinking that Keenan Davis is any use in football. <laughs> <laughs> he did follow it up with good luck, bro. So uh, maybe I should maybe I should stop this before I get sued by Stan Collymore and Gilbert. <laughs> Stan Collymore's not going to sue you for saying you're friends with him. He might, he might. <laughs> uh, last question we can't answer, but probably will. Gareth Crooks just crawled under that, crawled out from under that rock that he was living under for a few years there. <laughs> a quote about Trent Alexander-Arnold. This kid is good enough for Real Madrid. Never mind Liverpool. Real Madrid. <laughs> Real Madrid with Lucas Vasquez at right back all season. He said Trent can play at that level. Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah. I mean, people commonly refer to transfer windows as silly season. Fucking silly season for three or four decades over at the BBC to have Gareth Crooks on their staff for so long. <laughs> and This was a planned opinion piece as well. Like This was a fluff piece. That I obviously shouldn't be getting so worked up about, but this is a piece you could just tap away at for for a week or two before it goes out to keep traffic ticking over on Christmas Day. Like he's not reacting to anything. There's no rush to get this out. It's not like he has had hasn't had any time to get his thoughts on order. Like there's no excuse for this. Has Gareth Crooks not watched the game of football in three and a half years? Like ne- <laughs> never mind the golfing class between the two teams at the minute, between the two leagues. And and both leagues' trajectories as well. I mean, the Premier League's only getting better and the league is getting worse. Gareth Crooks is telling us on a British taxpayer-funded website that Trent Alexander-Arnold, if he plays his card right, 
could force his way past Danny Carvajal and Lucas Vasquez. <laughs> no fucking shit. What an absolute waste of data. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just one of those boys who... Uh, it, it genuinely feels like he was just sitting under a rock for a few years and decided to come back out and start linking people to Real Madrid. Like He's 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 forgotten that now it's sexy to link people to Man City and Man United, but uh, not when they're playing for Liverpool, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll keep an eye on anything that's happening. If you want us to talk about anything, please get in touch with us on Twitter. Send us a message on the Villa Podcast or on Instagram at the Villa Podcast Show. Uh, and that's everything, yeah. Another bad day at the office. Four wins out of eight for Steven Gerrard now. Um, we'll watch this space. Hopefully it gets a bit of a transfer budget. Hopefully the boys can get a bit of a rocket up their arses after what's happened over the last few weeks. Hasn't been great. But uh, we'll move on. It's a new year and hopefully we'll see a new villa along the way. Until next time, see you later. All the best. That wind is calling my name and I-